You know my home of being served by and served with. So thank you, God. Please touch our hearts. Lord, don't let us be hearers of the word only, but let us doers of the word. Touch our time. Be with us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a reading from God's word. Okay, Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 through 23. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. When I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. And all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so to really uh, have to understand the value of this verse, we obviously have to understand the context of the preceding verses in uh, verses 10 through 14, or 10 through 13. So it says that I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. And indeed, you were concerned. But you also had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So, that's the background of what it says in verse 14. But then, in verse 14, it says, Yet, nevertheless, but it was good of you to share in my troubles. Okay? Which is a tangible, physical expression of concern and affection. So, I want, how can I pray for you? And what can I do as a result? So, what I see is two key points. The first one is, I have learned to be content. And it says, because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's one. So, worst case, I can do this. Two, nevertheless, even still, it was good of you to share in my sufferings. Okay? So, said another way, I can and will do this if I have to do it alone with Christ. Just me and Christ, I can do that. But, it's a lot easier to, do, to fulfill Christ's mission here on earth with our friendships or through our friendships. So, this brings us to this uh, story. Okay? So uh, there's the, the Naga tribesmen. They're in modern-day northeastern India. So what's interesting is in the 1800s, the mid-1800s, there's this massive revival in England. And oddly, it spreads throughout Europe. Okay? And I think you guys, a lot, of, a lot of people are already aware of this. But one of the things that was produced as a result of this revival was there's a significant number of Welsh and German missionaries. And so they go out throughout the world. But one of the places they went was this place called Assam in northeastern India. So the interesting thing is, is that it's full of these aggressive tribesmen in there that are headhunters. And again, so you look up headhunting, and apparently, I thought they you know, ate the heads or something like that, but no. So they cut off all these guys' heads, and the idea to show your physical prowess, your ability to protect your family, the ability to protect your wife and, and, and demonstrate your strength, the number of heads you would have around your lodge. Or you contribute to the kitty, you know, like the, the village collection, Right? But, you, you know, however many you've got, that's that you're measuring your success, okay? So it's into this context 
that these Welsh missionaries are being introduced. And they go there, and unsurprisingly, they don't have a great deal of success initially, right? And a couple of them add to the, to the lodges, right? I suspect. Okay, so, but one of them, this one Welsh missionary, is able to witness to one Assamese tribesman, his wife and two sons. So this guy chooses to follow Christ. But that's not the amazing part. The amazing part is, once he believes, this, the other Welsh missionaries, you know, he doesn't, doesn't go on to say that he won other people to Christ. This Assamese tribesman begins to tell other people about Christ in his own language, in their own cultural context, and more villagers start to follow Christ, right? So what's amazing, though, is that this doesn't go unnoticed by the village elder or the village leader who's a little furious that all of his, his tribe, or a lot of his tribe, is beginning to follow Christ. So he has the man, his wife, and his sons taken into custody, right, for public judgment about the, his faith in Christ, which is uh, antithetical to their own belief. And while he's in custody, he writes his defense in the form of a poem or a song, which seems strange to us, but if you ever deal in like the Afghan culture or some of the, the Arabic cultures, it's completely rational to, to prepare your defense in the form of poetry or song or something like that. So it's different for us. Um, it makes sense to them. Okay, so the village elder brings this guy up front and he demands that this Asmi's tribesman repudiate Christ on pain of death of him and his entire family. So the tribesman responds with the first three verses of his defense. And you guys may know this one. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Now the village elder is he's, he's furious, and he orders his archers to shoot the man's sons with arrows right in front of them. And as his sons lay dying, twitching on the ground, the village chief gives him another chance to recant. Okay? And the man recites the next three verses of his psalm. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. With this, the village elder has his archers shoot his wife. And his wife's laying on the ground now, dying next to his two sons. And the village elder offered the man one final chance to save his own life. The man's final defense were the words that you guys know. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. So what's amazing here is, is that the village elder, true to his word, shoots the Asamese tribesman, and he dies right there. So that's an amazing story, and it's amazing to me. That gives the background on where this, this amazing song came from. But what's even more amazing is that once this guy dies, that village elder is sitting there looking, and it's incredulous to him. He's like, why would anyone die for the name of a man who lived thousands of miles away and hundreds of years ago and lose his, not only his own life, but the life of his wife and the life of his sons for this name of a man that he never met? And so he, the village elder realizes there's something there. There's something to this. There's got to be something there, something supernatural in the name of Jesus Christ. And 
What does he do? He follows Christ. <laughs> and the entire tribe becomes Christian. And they become the Nagah people. They live there today. And they're absolutely persecuted by all of their neighbors. Right? But they've stayed there and they've stayed faithful. So what's interesting to me is, when I first came to Christ, one of the first verses I think that it's mandatory for a new believer to memorize is Romans 8, 28. For God works all things for the good of those who love him, but called according to his purpose. You're like, yes! But I think I read it wrong. You know, I think I read it as, and I know I did early on, was God brings only good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You cannot tell me, right, that that Assamese tribesman would say, yeah, that was good. Yeah, he brought only good to me with the death of my sons, watching them. It'd be bad enough to know they died. Watching it would be another thing altogether. Watching his wife and you being, in a way, the person that pulled the trigger to a degree, right? Okay, completely different watching it, right? And the, and the cost to him. But what was the good that came? God works all things for the good of those who love him. The entire tribe. Think about the generational effect of just 10 people coming to Christ, Right? And this was an entire tribe that came to Christ as a result of this, okay? So this was a little difficult for me, and this idea of being content in any and every situation until I understood that God does work everything for the good, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that if none go with me, I have decided that this is going to happen. And I'll be honest with you, there was a point, the low point, the lowest point in my life. I can, I can pick out the time frame. So from 2003 to 2009, I've talked, there's a few of you that, that have, uh, we, we've chatted about this before. But from that period of time, my uh, ex-wife had demanded that I convert to Islam, okay? Um, after years of marriage, we had two sons, and that precipitated our ultimate separation and divorce. And 2003 to 2009, the, the darkest time was 2007 to 2009. That was, you can, it was almost palpable. You can feel it, you can return to it, you can experience it. Thank God that I don't very often. But it was bookended, right, by deployments to Iraq. And it, as you guys know, during divorce, what happens? Well, you split up all the marital assets, so you lose your house. Okay, you don't lose it. It was never yours. But hey, go tell me back then. <laughs> go tell me in 2003 you don't lose anything. I sure felt, sure felt like I did, right? Use half of your disposable income, but that's not the worst part. The worst part was you see your sons every day up to that point. And you don't see your sons every day after that. And you have a, a, uh, another partner, the person you used to be a partner with, who's actively taking them to mosques and to uh, um, religious schools, to the sheikhs, to imam, who, who, aren't, who are willing to help out. They're like, oh, wait, this is a Christian, this is a battle? We're in, right? Okay, so you, you have this sense of loss. Then uh, during that same period of time with the deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, lost my stepfather and then my mother during that period of time. But at the lowest and the darkest point, when you're kind of lonely, there was this question. I felt like Christ was asking, and it only, oddly, he only asked it when, uh, when it was really quiet in the house or the car, which maybe he was asking it when it wasn't <laughs> quiet in the house and the car, but maybe I only heard it then. But it was this idea of, if I were to take everything away from you, would I be enough? Would Christ be enough? If everything else was gone, would I still be enough? And you know what? As a result of that, it was like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, on the back side of that, though, fortunately, that's rare. He doesn't ask that every day. What he does ask us is that we're not called to do this on our own most often. Okay? 
So context, this is important. It says, I can, I'm able, I'm willing to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's nothing that I won't do. But it was good of you to share in my sufferings. Right? Okay, so I think it's worth breaking down that one sentence. So there's this word kalos, which is good, fine, excellent, beautiful, which is great language, I'll be honest with you. You know, being around other men, it's so weird that, that there's some side of you, right, that, that this means something to, that, that beauty actually reaches, manly beauty in some way. I don't know how it works, right, but it is, okay? But it says it was beautiful, fine, excellent of you to share in my troubles. Anybody that's been in a good brotherhood, in a good set of friends, in a, in a, in a team or in a unit knows what that means, that, that idea of that beautiful relationship. But then it goes to the next level. It's this idea of the difference between sig koinonia and, or koinonio and sig, and koinonia, sorry. And it's the difference between the noun and the verb. So not coin, koinonia. We know that that means fellowship. Sig koinonia is the verb of it, is to be in fellowship. So when it just says that we're to share in, what he's really saying there is, it was beautiful, fine, excellent of you to fellowship with me in my troubles. And then we take the last part, philipsis, okay? Which is this idea of tribulation, affliction, trouble, anguish, persecution, to be burdened for something, right? And then we put it all together, and it's, it was beautiful, fine, and excellent of you to fellowship with me in my tribulation, affliction, trouble, anguish, persecution, and burden. Oh, man. You know, and again, if you haven't experienced it, which I suspect everyone has and can, can pull up an image of it in their own mind, the question is, who needs godly friendships? Yeah, are these nice-to-haves or need-to-have? Be honest with you, I've told this a few people before. Um, really, before BCC, I saw, you know, fellowship is like fellowship schmellowship, you know. You know, you follow Christ, you read the Bible, you, you know, you do all this. Do you really need these, you know, effeminate, menly friendships? No. Yeah, maybe you don't. Maybe you do. I don't know. Well, it turns out you do. <laughs> Who knew? Okay. <laughs> Who knew? All right. So what about a man that God himself says? There's no one like him. Job chapter 1 verse 8 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. Okay, he's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Yet, we see in Job 2, 11 through 13, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuahite, so far the Namathite, all heard the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go sympathize with him and to comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And they began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. What did they do? What did they do that was so noble? Now, granted, we know that their godly counsel after this wasn't so great. They were on their counseling, right? But they get the first part really good. I mean, think about this. The people that are, all of us, everybody in here, there's no one here that's escaped this. No one here that's escaped suffering. A simple hand on your shoulder. A simple word, a text, a call, something like that. All they do, they weep aloud at a distance. It reinforces, yeah, you have every reason to be upset right now tear their robes, mourn with those who mourn, and laugh with those who laugh, and grieve with those who grieve. Seven days and seven nights, they sit where? They sit on the ground. And with who? With him. What do they do? They say nothing. Just that presence. So we think, okay, well, he's a man. 
What does God incarnate care about godly friendships? Does he value them? Right? Matthew 26, 36 through 40. This is always, I always thought this was interesting. If you're God, what do you need termites for? It was just, I mean, that must, that must be what we look like, right? I mean, like it, little things, insignificant, kind of like, really? You know, you, you, you get something out of this relationship? I mean, it seems like we get it all. And yet, he says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And so they sit there. But what's interesting to me is, then he says, he took Peter, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, and went with them, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, the degree of his sorrow and trouble, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. What is he asking him to do? Just stay here. Just be close to me. Just human interaction, human presence at, my, at, the, at the lowest point. Not advice, not, not caring, not doing anything else. Just being there. That's amazing to me that the God of the universe in human flesh would desire human contact and that his answer to the being at the lowest point of his entire life is that he wants to be with God with other men and with these three men in particular. I don't think that's small. I don't think we should miss it. So what were they asked to do? Just presence, just friendship, just support. How valuable is a card? <laughs> What's amazing is, I'm just telling you, is there is no shortage of men who care in this ministry, in these, in, in, among our friendships here. I'm just telling you. I've received, I mean, it's so strange, you know. I, it was 40-something years old when I got my first card from another dude. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, that's a card, dude. And I look into it, I was like, you know. I get cards, you know, it's funny. You get cards for a birthday, and I skip all the writing on the card and only read what they wrote. Why? That's from them, right? And so it's interesting. I get this. I'm like, eh, I actually kind of feel good, you know? And so I put it on my desk so I can look at my little cards and stuff, you know, which is kind of strange. It, it's not very manly. I don't know. It doesn't seem very manly to me. But I'm telling you is that it was, it's different. It's, it's impactful. It makes a difference. How difficult or how impactful is a simple text or a call? Or just saying, hey, I mean, I've, have you ever received a call when you're like, when things are absolutely difficult, you can't take another one, and then the next thing you get a call out of nowhere, and it just happens to answer wherever you're at right there, okay? So for me, uh, in 2000, I was uh, going through OCS, and I'm 10 years older than any of the other nasty little smelly candidates, right? Okay, well, I tore my lower back muscle and upper butt muscle. So the more accurate thing is I tore a butt muscle but it sounds better if you tore a lower back muscle. So I tore a muscle there, and it was, it was terrible. It was terrible. I'm, I'm taking Motrin, all this other stuff, and obviously there's not a lot of light-duty time in OCS. Light-duty time is called seek other employment, right? <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pushing, and I was just down. It was, it was just it was not a good time. So I'm sitting on my nasty little camp stool, which they give you, and there's a guy sitting next to me who I didn't know. I didn't know this guy. I mean, he wasn't in my... He wasn't in my platoon. It wasn't anything else. He goes, here, dude. And he hands it. He doesn't know me, and I don't think I looked that down. And it's a little card, and it said, where God guides, he provides. Is that if you're in the center of God's will, you're right where you're supposed to be. That, turns out that's not even, you know, that's not even an actual verse. <laughs> but at the same time, it was exactly what I needed to hear. I don't even know who the clown was. 
right? He just gave it to me. I was like, who gives out cards? Like, you there. And he just, and that was it. And I look at it, and it was exactly enough for that moment, right? And so there's something in our hearts that God says, hey, tell that guy, Simple Fidelis, Simple Fidelis, and you just walk off. And it's enough. I don't know. But if God puts it on our heart, then it should be a burden. So how valuable is sharing time together? We're told in Galatians 6, 2, to bear one another's burdens. And this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. But I'd ask, how are you going to carry? Like, you're barely getting by with your burden. Like, I'm not overwhelmed, but I can see it from here, right? How is it that I can bear someone else's? And I don't know that we're told to come up and take their pack off them and say, I'll carry my pack and yours. What I think we're told is, as hard as it sounds, it's something as simple as, hey, number one, start with prayer. Just start there at a minimum, which seems small, but I mean, you're walking into the throne room of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of all creation. It's not a small affair to leverage that capacity in prayer. That's not a small thing. It's not a small start. That's a good start. Then the second one is encouragement. I mean, maybe you're just right there out of the blue. If God, I've begun to do this, you know, it's good being a jarhead. It's because like, it does what it's told. And if God puts a person's name on me, I'm like, I'm calling that person. And you call him like, hey, what's up? Nothing much. What do you want to talk about? Nothing. Just, what's up? <laughs> then you hang up. It's awkward. But again, maybe, who knows? Maybe, they, maybe it's just funny to them, you know? But it's the idea of encouragement and then presence. Because in that dark time, in my, that, that 2007 to 2009 period, God brought all these different people, these men, always, it was interesting that it was men in there, and it was just presence. And we shared time, contact, laughter. We should not make, uh, make light of the day of small things. Right? Okay, so discussion questions. Why did Christ, God incarnate, desire godly male friendships, particularly in his darkest hour? What did he need from them? What was it they could possibly give? What do you give the man who's got everything? Right? Then number two, in what material fashion has a brother in Christ helped you share your burden? And then three, with this being the last AM base camp for the summer, in what material way will you commit to share one another's burdens. Okay, okay. I'm gonna pray for us before we get just starting here. Lord, I just again I want to thank you for this. Uh, it's you know how how needful uh, this morning is for me and every every one of these uh, base camps. It's so great to be here with godly men. So Lord, let us pour into each other's lives. Let us not be miss this opportunity. We've already sold out. We will follow you. We'll follow you alone, even if no one else follows. But Lord, we're not we're not always called to do that. So insofar as we're able, let us pour into each other's lives and lift each other's up, each other up, and help us bear each other's burdens. We love you and we ask all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.